It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What is going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. Thanks for making me a part of your day. Uh, So it looks like we are another step closer to having about half of the students in the state with the ability to go to in-person instruction in K through 12 government run schools. Uh, This was a piece of legislation that made its way through the Senate this week and then got taken up in the House. House had a debate and House passed it, although they made some changes. And so it's going into a conference committee report. But uh, good news. If you've got a kid in K through 12 schools and your district does not allow for in-person instruction, uh, the state legislature is going to try to force them to offer you that option. So first, want to give a shout out to some of the patrons that make the program possible. As always, Josh, Mary, Matthew, Elizabeth, and Sarah, and Kathleen, Phil, Rhonda, Jason, and Marlene. Thank you very much for uh, the support. I could not do the program without you. Also, you cannot sleep without a good bed. Okay, if you've got a really crummy bed, uh, you're probably not getting a great night's sleep. So take my advice, do what I did, go to Mattress Man. Christy and I, we have a king-size memory foam mattress we got for Mattress Man years ago. We love it. We are kind of thinking about getting the adjustable bases, though, uh, for our next mattress purchase when we get into our new house. So uh, that's what we're that's what we've got our eyes on. And uh, if you are thinking about getting a new bed yourself, this is a great time to do it. The President's Day sale going on right now at Mattress Man. Pick up a free box spring with the purchase of the Biltmore mattresses. Uh, these are made by Restonic uh, in Fayetteville. And these are the mattresses, as the name might indicate, they're in the hotel and the inn on the grounds of the Biltmore State. So uh, if you've ever stayed there and you really love the mattress, you can get one. They also are offering at Mattress Man free adjustable bases with the purchase of select mattresses. Uh, they've got the triple zero financing deal, so zero down, zero APR for 24 months, zero payments for 90 days. Uh, head on over there. They will work with you no matter your credit. Okay, go to Mattress Man for locations in Asheville, Arden, and Hendersonville. They do ship nationwide. And they have local five-star delivery service, plus a 120-day comfort guarantee. You can't lose. Go where I went, Mattress Man. Mattressmanstores.com is the website. And experience the difference at Mattress Man. Buy local and sleep better. So the state house quickly approved a measure that would uh, force school districts all around the state to offer in-person instruction Uh, to students that right now there are a lot of districts that are still remote and have been for now a year. Um, According to the story at WRAL by Matthew Burns, the 74 to 44 vote sent Senate Bill 37 back to the Senate for a final vote. The senators uh, knocked it off the fast track, disagreeing with some of the changes made by the House and sending it to a conference committee in order to negotiate a compromise. And so for folks who may not remember their civics class, uh, how a bill becomes a law, right? If you have the House version not being the same as the Senate version, they go to a conference committee and they can work out the details and then it'll go back to both of the bodies for concurrence, basically. Uh, House Democrats called the legislation needless government overreach. 
noting that 90% of North Carolina school districts have already opened and that the remainder plan to do so. Again, another example of how the premise that is advanced by the Democrats just becomes assumed as true. (laughs) So this is misleading. Okay, and I will explain in a minute. This is misleading, and you're going to hear why it's misleading from the Republican majority leader, John Bell. Okay, Uh, so I've got audio from the floor debate, a couple of sound bites here we're going to play. But the bill gives school districts two weeks to plan before getting kids back into the classroom, at least part time. Okay, so remember, this was plan A, plan B, plan C. You've got school districts that are on plan C still, which is totally remote. A lot other school districts have gone to like a plan B, which is a hybrid. And then you got varying degrees of that. Is it one day a week, two days a week, like that sort of thing. But all uh, but not all districts are offering in-person instruction as one of the options. So families that want to continue remote learning, you're still going to be free to do so under the bill. This would just force districts to offer the option for parents if they want in person. Schools would have to follow safety guidelines, including the, you know, six feet of distancing. And that includes uh, the middle and the high schools. The House changed the bill in order to allow teachers who are at high risk for complications from COVID-19 or if they care for children or adults in their home, it allows those teachers to opt out of in-person instruction. So this was the change that prompted the Senate to say, let's go to conference committee. So we'll see. I'm I'm not sure what the objections are there uh, from the Senate. Uh, Although if there are some Democrats that signed on to it, I'm automatically kind of suspicious of what (laughs) is there some sort of poison pill going on here? Is this honestly like is this the carve out now for a lot of teachers that don't want to go back to in-person instruction. They just get to claim that they're worried about contracting it because somebody in their household might get sick from it. And so then they get to continue working remotely. The Republican majority, though, according to the WRAL story, quote, beat back several Democrat sponsored amendments. <laughs> I love that. The, they beat them back. No, no, they didn't. They just voted against them. They they rejected all of these efforts that the Democrats attempted to amend this bill, one of which I found to be, <laughs> this was the, the funniest one for me, was offered by Representative Rachel Hunt. She is the daughter of former governor Jim Hunt, the education governor. And uh, she's out of Mecklenburg County, and her proposal was to get rid of the exemption, basically, for charter schools. So right now, charter schools are not covered under this bill. So charter schools are not going to be forced to provide an in-person option. Okay, this doesn't account for them. And so she says, look, they need to be held to the same standard. And by the way, this is the Democrats have been pushing against charter schools. But remember, when, when Democrats controlled the legislature and the state government for over a century, they did not like charter schools. They fought charter schools. They put a cap on the total number of charter schools that there could be in the state. Um, And when Republicans finally won in 2010, they took the cap off. They said, just if let's start charters, you guys want to do some charter schools, do it. Right. And I remember when this was the big fight before even vouchers, charter schools was sort of the, that was like the first step towards some a degree of choice in K-12 government-run education. So the charter schools, which, by the way, are public schools, 
They have long been in the crosshairs of Democrats, um, but not not so much anymore since like the Opportunity Scholarship got implemented and now you've got actual choice occurring with vouchers. Uh, now charters tend to kind of take a back seat because they are still public schools, but you know they should have to abide by all the rules we have to abide by. It's like, you don't really understand the point here, do you? <laughs> right? The whole point is to create a different uh, system for parents and students to choose if they want that instead. The, the the idea here isn't just to create more public schools in a traditional model that you guys want. See, they're, like that's they want charter schools to have to adhere to all of the traditional public school rules because uh, they find them to be onerous. And so, if charters had to apply had to abide by them too, then they would just be part of the traditional public school system anyway. <laughs> and they don't want they don't want the competition. So uh, here is uh, Rachel Hunt on the floor, uh, Representative Hunt making the argument for why charter schools uh, should be included. This is in the spirit of casting a wider net and not leaving any children behind, as Representative Bradford said. It just include, makes charter schools included in this bill. I think it's very important that we not leave any students behind. <laughs> I would appreciate your support. <laughs> okay. For what purpose does the gentleman from Mecklenburg, Representative Bradford, This rise. is John Bradford. He is the sponsor of the bill. Uh, debate the amendment. Republican. The gentleman has the floor to debate the amendment. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Thank you, Representative Hunt, for your amendment. So, as we all know, um, uh, public school units, which include charters, um, they have their own statutory guidelines. They have their own f- calendar flexibility. Mm-hmm. It's noteworthy that over 50 percent of charters have already been open. They've already been open. Um, the unique thing about charters is, unlike LEAs, students, parents of students and LEAs don't get a chance to vote with their feet. Right. If a parent is not happy because a charter school has not opened when they want it to be opened, they can vote with their feet by pulling the child out of the charter and coming into an LEA, which will now be open under this bill. So really, th- this is a non-issue. Charters are covered under a different set of statutes. This bill is for the LEAs only, so uh, I would encourage you to please vote against the amendment. All right, so LEA, by the way, stands for uh, local education area, local educational area, I believe. Um, and so he's saying, I think it's pretty clear, right? No, charters have a different law that applies to them. And if parents don't want their kid going to a school that offers no in-person option, then they'll just take their kid out of the charter school. Problem solved. Thank you. Further Choice. For what purpose does the lady from Mecklenburg, Resident Hunt Ross? Debate the amendment a second time. Lady has four debate the amendment a second time. I understand what you're saying, Representative Bradford, and I didn't know if you are, um, have children in charter schools or are very familiar with them. Those parents count, too, and those kids count, too. <laughs> I want to make sure everyone is counted if this yeah. bill is going to pass and that we count every child. Yeah. Uh-huh. For our purpose, gentleman from Mecklenburg, Representative Bradford, Ross. Uh, just debate the, uh, the amendment a second time. The gentleman's recognized to debate the amendment a Thank you, Representative time. Hunt. Uh, my children do go to a charter school, coincidentally. Um, and so um, I maintain that no child will be left behind because parents, if a charter is not opening against that parent's wishes, they can pull their child to their LEA where it will be open. Right. So they do have a choice. Please vote against the amendment. Right. Does anybody else from Mecklenburg County wish to debate the amendment? <laughs> Seeing not, the question for the House is the adoption of Amendment A6. Those okay. in favor will say aye. All right. So that was the House Speaker Tim Moore making the crack because like, there, there was a run there where it was only Mecklenburg County representatives that were going back and forth on this. Right. But it, it, it's, it is noteworthy, don't you think? She doesn't seem to comprehend the concept 
that if a school is failing, then parents can take their kids out and that school will close. And when I, and so in, in this debate, failing, quote unquote, would be failing to offer in-person instruction. And if enough kids and parents want in-person instruction and they're not getting it, then they leave and the school closes, right? She Like this concept of school choice, it, it, I don't know what it is. It just, it can't break through for some people. I don't know why. I do also find it kind of comical that the party that has been all opposed to charters for like the last 20 years since I've been paying attention uh, to the education stuff in North Carolina, uh, that now all of a sudden they're, they're the ones that are looking out for the kids in the charter schools too. You know, we're, we don't want to leave all of them behind. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, right. That, that's it. Yeah, sure you don't. Speaking of educators, by the way, if you're an educator looking to buy or sell a home, then you need to call Rowena Patton because she's the only official Homes for Heroes agent in the Asheville area. This is a national program, but they pick one realtor per area and they've chosen Rowena Patton. And uh, this allows her to give educators, healthcare professionals, police officers, firefighters, and military veterans, active duty, and retirees, uh, give them 25% back from the realtor commissions. And she has given back about $800,000 so far to folks in those five professions. So keep more of your own money. Use Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team. She also happens to outsell 99% of the realtors in the entire state of North Carolina. She's really fantastic at what she does. Put her to work for you. Buying or selling the only agent that I would call, in fact, we did, to buy our home, Rowena Patton. 333-4483. That's 333-4483. Rowena Patton. The website is mountainhomehunt.com. Give her a call and then start packing. All right. Next up is Representative Raymond Smith Jr. He is a Democrat out of Wayne County. You spoke um, when you first uh, stood up to introduce the bill. You spoke in terms of it being a uh, concerted effort between the governor's office and the General Assembly, mm-hmm. and that everybody in the room wants to reopen schools. Mm-hmm. I don't see that there's any consternation with, with regard to that point. Okay. My question to you is very simple. Then why do we need a bill? Because the <laughs> governor has already stated that he is is um, supporting the reopening of schools. I don't think you have any problem on this side of the uh, aisle as it relates to reopening schools. So why huh? do we need a bill? Uh, I can answer that question. Four letters, N-C-A-E, or better yet, two words, Teachers Union. (laughs) That's the reason. Teachers Union. And now, by the way, in the debate, I listened to virtually all of it. Uh, There was uh, one part I had to duck out, but uh, virtually all of it. And never once did I heard, uh, never once did I hear, rather, the Teachers Union mentioned, the N-C-A-E mentioned. Nobody ever mentioned, sort of like Voldemort, you shall not name them. That's what this is about, though. This is the argument that they're not having. Again, like they talk right around each other because nobody wants to acknowledge the reason why this bill is required. The bill is required because the teachers union basically owns the Democratic General Assembly members, which is amazing because the teachers union is only like four to five percent of the total teacher population. The teachers union does not speak for the vast majority of teachers in this state, but they have this outsized influence inside the Democratic Party. So 
he says that, oh, everybody's in agreement. We want schools to reopen, which is a little too clever by half, if you ask me, because no, that's not actually true. Yes, we can pay lip service to wanting schools to reopen, but there's a whole bunch of caveats that come after that for some people. They want all sorts of things from, uh, you know, all of the safety protocols and such, obviously, but also things like, you know, we need to make sure we redo all of the HVAC systems, filtration systems and all this other stuff in the schools before we'll go back. This is what some of these union reps are saying. So, no, we're not all in agreement that everybody wants to get back to school, because if that were the case, then everybody would be back to school by now. Right. (laughs) But we're not. So it's obviously not the case. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you for the question. So what I said was that um, this chamber had worked together bipartisan support. Um, and of course, through the, um, the colleagues on the other side of the aisle, they were talking to the governor. Um, in fact, I have an outstanding issue with the governor. I've not heard back from on myself. So um, that said, we need a bill uh, because we need to take leadership as a general assembly and mandate schools to open because the governor has not done that. He has gone as far as to say we need to reopen, which is a wonderful soundbite but it's time to reopen. So this bill makes it so. So that is why the bill is here. And, um, and I think just by way of the decision to move uh, pre-K-12, which is category three, to the front of the line vaccinations is a wonderful step forward. Um, and so I would agree with you in that as soon as this bill passes, we would expect the governor not to veto it. Which, of course, <laughs> uh, is a real possibility that the governor will veto it. I, I, I don't think he can, but it is a possibility. We shall see. Maybe he does it knowing that it's going to get overridden. I don't know. Uh, I'm not going to make any predictions because I'm usually not very good at that sort of thing. So uh, I think that he, what, what uh, John uh, Bradford, the representative, is, is pointing out here is this comical assertion that Representative Smith is making that we all obviously want schools to reopen. Well, it's not actually obvious because the governor hasn't mandated the schools to reopen. He hasn't said that. He He's the one who closed them. And then when he was going to announce them to be reopened, remember, instead he begged off and gave these three different plans and let everybody choose. And he's kicking it all down to the local uh, school districts saying that, oh, I'm for local control. I'm going to come back to this, this idea of local control that Democrats keep hammering away at. Um, but this is the argument from the NCAE that this bill is now unnecessary because the governor said, hey, teachers, we want to vaccinate you guys first in group three. So we're in two weeks. We're going to start vaccinating teachers as part of the first wave of group three. And so because of that, the teachers unions like, OK, yay. Now, Senate Bill 37 is not necessary. But if that's the case, then why aren't all the school districts open right now? Why haven't all of them gone to an optional in-person instruction model? They haven't done it yet. I'd like to debate the bill. Gentleman from Wayne, Representative Smith, has the floor to debate the bill. Thank you. Um, It's clear that there's no reason to have a bill on reopening (laughs) schools because we all agree. That's not how that that works, okay? It's not how that works. Just because y'all agree in the General Assembly doesn't mean schools are reopening right now. It's not happening still. Disconnect comes in how do we do that and what's best for our students, our staff, our teachers, our parents. And I humbly present, I humbly say to you that 
in a good faith a fiduciary uh, effort to try to reopen schools, we don't need to be restrictive. We don't need to be mandating anything because there's no one size that fits all. The, the, the mandates that come from this hall, when I was a uh, vice chairman of the Board of Education back in my district in Wayne County, we, we received a mandate from the General Assembly uh, on a class, classroom size bill. That mandate turned out to be an absolute disaster because it came with no funding. And as long as we continue to mandate how people should run their school systems, and it's, and it's amazing to hear from that side of the aisle that we want to be big government and take over local decisions. <laughs> this, that's amazing to me how that works. It's not, but that's a whole other conversation. I don't think it's for amazing. Day. It's but, my, my point is, I don't see that we need to mandate anything if we're all in agreement that we need to reopen schools and there's a much better way to do that by giving local uh, school boards the decision, the, the ability to make that decision for themselves. And I believe local control is best under the circumstances. Okay. So this and is. We'll vote against he's it. He's going to vote against it. This is gaslighting. Okay. Either, like, he. There's a number of things. So first off, he says, we don't need the bill because the best route here is to give local control and let the districts do it. And they'll do it because we all agree it should be open. Yeah, but they haven't. But they haven't. So, like, you're saying just keep doing what we're doing right now and expect a different result. And that is the definition of insanity, right? Also, he says, oh, you're going to just mandate and you're not going to attach any money to it. Okay, Uh, that's not true. In fact, the governor just signed more than $2 billion dollars in COVID relief funding this week, and $1.6 billion of it is for public schools. So they can help, it helps them reopen. <laughs> $1.6 billion going to help schools reopen and combat uh, the pandemic with the safety protocols and all of that. So that's not true either. And then there's this point about local control, he raises. Um, and by the way, just like, this is basically, like, this level of, and I don't know why I expect more. I never have, by the way. So it's just, I just point out, like, the level of debate here, it's like Facebook. <laughs> the, the arguments that I'm hearing are no better than the ones I see crafted by some randoms on Facebook. All right. Uh, but this local control argument. It is a pillar. This is true that it, local control is a pillar of the limited government conservative philosophy. That's true. Local control. Um, but that does not mean local control above all else. It doesn't mean everything gets sacrificed for local control. For example, the rule of law is superior, right? Local control does not trump rule of law. If a local body is violating the state constitution, then it's not a conservative position to allow that to continue because local control. See what I mean? So it, it, it's a profound misunderstanding to give the guy the benefit of the doubt. It's a profound misunderstanding of the limited government conservative philosophy when it comes to local control. But I mean, that's the that's the charitable interpretation. The not so charitable interpretation is that it's a willful misconstruction of the argument in order to advance his political point. But I don't want to I don't want to ascribe motive to anybody. OK, but local control does not trump all for conservatives. Now, speaking of control, uh, some of the family farmers in North Carolina who were growing hemp, they said, you know what, uh, why don't we take control 
of this product because there are a lot of companies coming in from out of state and they are making promises, not fulfilling them, leaving a lot of farmers high and dry. And so uh, they said, you know what, let's take control ourselves. And that's what they did. And they created Growers Hemp. Growers, hemp, uh, family farmers, they said we're going to control it all from seed to shelf, from growing it to, you know, harvesting, obviously, the manufacturing and uh, the production of their products. Growers, hemp, full spectrum hemp extract. I take some of the drops before I go to bed. They've got other products like lozenges, but they've also got the balm. It's the balm. It's a topical. It's a cream. And you apply it for, you know, hurts, hips, hands feet, back, and uh, you just rub it on. And uh, by the way, right now for Valentine's Day, you can pick up a buy one, get one free special by using the discount code LOVE. That's L-O-V-E. Buy one, get one free. See the website Growers Hemp for details. As with all CBD products, here's the official disclaimer. GovCo requires these statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration, and the efficacy of these products has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Nothing that I said is meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from your healthcare provider. I'm not a doctor. Please consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. Go to growershemp.com, though. That's where I go uh, to get my re-up, my resupply of my drops. Check out the Balm promo code LOVE for a Valentine's Day buy one, get one discount. Growershemp.com from North Carolina Farmers to your home. Growers Hemp is about the hemp and not the hype. So next up here is Julie Von Hafen. She is a Democrat from Wake County, and she tries to make the point that uh, most school districts, you know, are already open. So, again, we, you know, we don't need this bill. Representative Bradford, I was wondering if you knew how many school districts in North Carolina are still all remote at this time? I'm, I'm sorry, I, I heard most of that. Say that one more time. How many school districts in North Carolina are all remote at this time on Plan C? You know, I don't want to give you a number. I, I don't want to guess. Th that data is available from staff, but there are there are groups that are open and there are groups that are still remote. I just don't want to give you an accurate answer, so I don't know. Right, can I debate the bill, Mr. Speaker? Lady has the floor to debate the bill. Um, thank you, Representative Bradford. It was my understanding that yesterday in the Rules Committee that question was asked to staff, and staff informed the Rules Committee that only less than 20 districts are now all remote, and almost all of those are already in the process of making plans to go back either on Plan A or Plan B. So really, when we think about the, all the discussion that we've had today about getting kids back in school, the vast majority, 90% or more of our school districts are already on plan A or plan B. So that's why this bill is just really not necessary. Our districts are already taking the action that they need on a local basis to make these decisions. And this bill is absolutely unnecessary and a legislative overstep. Thank you. All right. So uh, that is the NCAE position. Okay. This is the uh, position of the teachers union. And this is uh, as I mentioned earlier, when I was reading a story from WRAL, they quoted verbatim that 90 percent line, noting the Democrats noting 90 percent of North Carolina's school districts have already reopened and the remainder plan to do so in varying degrees, stages of planning. <laughs> right. Uh, like, for example, Durham, they plan to reopen. But Durham, where is he? Hang on. I have the article. It's in the stack of stuff. 
here it is. Durham Public Schools has remained remote since the beginning of the pandemic. And by the way, what happens in Durham is important to uh, to watch because the NCAE leadership all comes out of Durham. It's the Durham Teachers Association, the Durham uh, Association of Educators. Don't call it a union, but that crew and they are like and, and I don't use this term flippantly like they're like Marxists, communists. The, one of the guys, Prof, uh, Brian Prophet, like communist guy. And uh, so that's the leadership now of the teachers union statewide. They, they, they took over the teachers union in the last election cycle. Anyway, Durham Public Schools has been closed since the beginning of the pandemic. And the Board of Education there voted to keep students home through spring for the rest of the traditional school year. Okay, so WRAL just regurgitating what the Democrats are saying here. It's not actually accurate. Oh, well, I guess technically it is accurate that they are planning to reopen. They're just planning to reopen, you know, in 2022. (laughs) They're planning to reopen later for the 21-22 school year after the summer. Okay, so uh, it's not true that all of the school districts are moving with haste towards in-person instruction. And generally, this is the larger school districts that are still closed. And this is why that 90% number is misleading. The 90% of North Carolina school districts have already reopened. Okay, first off, they haven't all reopened fully. Okay, so a lot of them are doing the hybrid. Some, you know, you come in for a few days, you go home for a few days. So it's not total in-person instruction. So they're not completely reopened, first of all. Second of all, do you notice what the stat is actually measuring? 90% of North Carolina school districts. Now, why is that important? Well, the 10% of districts that have not opened are the biggest ones. And you know what that means? It means 40% plus of the students in this state don't have the option to go in person. That's a little bit different. That's not mentioned, by the way, in this story. It's not mentioned in the WREL story. Also not mentioned that the bill that moved out of the House was approved along a bipartisan vote. Mm -hmm. True. Bipartisan vote. Uh, It had 69 Republican yays and it had five Democrat yays for a total of 74 yes votes for the bill. 44 Democrats voted uh, in opposition to the bill. No Republicans did. So this was a bipartisan bill that passed the House. It is not called that in the reporting at WRAL. I wonder why. I don't wonder why, actually. (laughs) I do wonder why you haven't been to Old Grouch's military surplus, though. Like, really, what is up with that? Why haven't you been? If you have been, then obviously I'm not talking about you. But Old Grouch's Military Surplus is a great place to pick up some really unique items. Uh, like my favorite one, the, the ammo cans for storage. It's, I mean, it's just a cool and unique kind of a piece that you can put, yes, you know, in your work truck or in your shed or garage, yes. But also, like, you can put it on a shelf as as a storage tin, right? Uh, it's pretty cool. And yes, you can actually store ammo in it as well. Of course, military-grade backpacks, if your kids are going back to school, <laughs> then uh, pick up one of these backpacks. They last a lot longer than the cheapies that you get from the big box store, Um Also, cold weather gear and warm weather gear. If you are a hiker or a camper, you need to stop into Old Grouch's Military Surplus. He will help you outfit yourself for whatever your uh, 
adventure uh, is going to be. So Old Grouch's Military Surplus is located on Main Street in downtown Clyde, and it's across the street from the anti-aircraft gun. The shop is open Monday through Saturday, also online at oldgrouch.com. And of course, tell them that you heard it here on the program. So uh, next up, by the way, the um, this uh, this position by the uh, uh Julie Von Hafen, the representative from Wake County, she's a Democrat from Wake County, um, her position that this is an unnecessary bill, it's legislative overreach because, uh, you know, 90% of the districts are already open, but we won't say that 40 plus percent of the students don't have an option of in-person instruction. Um, She says it's not needed because we're already moving forward with all of the reopenings, which I feel the need to point this out. The only reason that these districts started moving towards reopening over the last three, four weeks was why? Because Cooper came out and said, we need to urge districts to start reopening. And they have been in the process now of trying to convince teachers and parents who have been terrified by Cooper and Cohen and all of the media that have been, you know, amplifying all of the panic porn stories that uh, don't worry, people, this is safe. We have known, I went over this yesterday and for months now, we have known that the transmission rates among particularly young kids is very, very low, very low. In fact, I still don't believe there's an there's any documented case of uh, covid infection going from a kid to a teacher. So, uh, I mean, that I haven't checked that stat in, uh, well, it's probably been a couple months. So there may be a case by now, <laughs> but for the first six or seven months, there wasn't. We have evidence of this. There is research about this throughout the world. Schools in other countries that never closed down during the pandemic at all. So uh, we can look to them and see that this is safe to do. But when you had the administration using this as a mechanism for political gain and you had media amplifying it either because they're stupid and they can't think outside of whatever the you know clickbait warnings they need to uh, promote, they're not looking at it critically. And they don't ever challenge any of these assumptions and they don't ever think, well, wait a minute, how come these other schools over here are able to uh, go back to class and they're not dying all over the place? Like, why can't we do that? So you had all these school districts that have been on lockdown because the governor told them to be. And then he comes out. Remember, he was, as I mentioned, he was going to do this uh, reopening and then the teachers union applied pressure. Don't you dare do it. And the school boards at the local level were getting extreme pressure from the unions. And so they then convinced, they, so the unions and the teachers and the school boards, Democrats basically convinced the governor, don't force us to reopen. And so he didn't. And even now when he came out, what, last week and said, I urge the school districts to reopen. And what did we see? We started seeing these bigger school districts start to say, you know what, I think we're going to start moving towards an in-person option. We need to start doing this because the impact on kids has been catastrophic. But the school boards needed cover in order to go against the teachers union without painting targets on their backs for the next election. And so they so they needed Governor Cooper to come out and say, it's OK. You got the CDC. The same thing. The same thing is playing out at the national level as well. The CDC director saying the same thing. Schools can reopen safely. And then because they're getting all this pressure from parents and education experts that are saying, you guys, uh, the damage you are doing to kids is catastrophic, lifelong uh, detrimental impacts. 
and uh, you got to reopen these schools. But when you've been wed to this idea that, you know, we're all going to die by being near each other, it's a very difficult sell. And so that's the that's where they are. And so then you get the teachers union that's applying pressure. You got parents applying pressure and you got Republicans that are like, we're going to pass a bill to make you reopen this. And so Cooper comes out and says, I urge you to reopen. And then he throws the union a bone, which is we're going to we're going to move you teachers up in the vaccine uh, prioritization list. So you get to go first among all of the essential frontline workers. You're more important teachers. We value you more. We hear you. We respect you. We're going to privilege you. So you want to talk about some vaccine privilege? There you go. Teachers got it. Ahead of cops, which, by the way, I have a story here as well in the stack of stuff. Um, This is from the Asheville Citizen Times, Joel Burgess. Because of jobs that put them in close physical contact with the public, local police have experienced high COVID-19 infection rates, but state and county guidelines have limited their access to vaccines. Asheville Police Department employees have an infection rate more than double that of Buncombe County residents, while Buncombe County Sheriff's Office staff have experienced outbreaks, including 30 detention center officers, according to a uh, spokesperson from each of these agencies. The county, Buncombe, has not deviated from state guidelines because of concerns that high-risk groups such as black and Hispanic residents might be marginalized. Quote, this is a spokeswoman for the county, Lillian Govis, who says when you start sub-prioritizing, people who are loudest and closest to the decision makers are often the ones given preference. We want to make sure we are prioritizing equity at the expense of cops. Right. That's your priority. So the people who are actually getting exposed and are are catching it. Sorry, you got to take a back seat because of equity. I did like the quote, though, that when you start sub prioritizing, the people who are loudest and closest to the decision makers are the ones given preference. You mean like the teachers union? (laughs) Because that's exactly what happened. Uh, All right. So let me get back to this floor debate. This is Robert Reeves. He's a Democrat from Chatham and he voted against this. But he said uh, he's doing so because he doesn't want to undermine the power of the executive branch. All of us want our children to be safe. All of us want all of the school personnel to be safe, because I think sometimes that gets lost here, too, is when we talk about students and teachers, we don't talk about all of the people who have to work in a school environment once schools reopen. And I think what a big difference of opinion is, number one, obviously we have a difference of opinion about the ability to react to a pandemic. This is a case of first impression, as many judges would put it. Mm. Nobody's been through a pandemic. Nobody knows what the right answer is. Ten years from now, none of us are going to know if we made the right decision. We're going to hope we did. We're going to hope that we did the best by our constituents, but we have no idea. A lot of people who will be voting along with me against this bill believe that in these circumstances and in all emergency circumstances, we have to cede some power to the executive branch. Okay, hang on. I'm going to stop again. Another false premise. Republicans have said no such thing that the executive branch doesn't have the authority uh, or, or should be given the benefit of reacting like this. They've not said that. There is a difference, though, right? There is a difference between uh, recognizing an executive's 
power and the need for that power to react to an emergency. That is different than a year later, (laughs) a year down the road, that the powers that are assumed by that executive remain in place. That's too much power. See, that is too much power for one person in any level of government to have. The legislature is an incredibly powerful branch of government. True. We like to pretend that we have three co-equal branches of judgment, but the truth of the matter is every decision made by the executive branch, every decision made by the judicial branch ultimately can come and be changed in this body. So we already have an incredible amount of power. Mm -hmm. But we have that because we are the most representative branch of government. Right. But what happens at that time is that means that we sacrifice the ability to be nimble. And that is where a huge difference is in our beliefs about what should happen in emergency circumstances within the state. It has been a year, Representative Reeves. I just don't have faith, not because I don't have faith in these individual members. I think a lot of you have become experts in areas of government and understand things and have the best interests of your constituents at heart. But all of you recognize that at different points in time, each one of us within our caucuses, not even talking about going caucus to caucus, within our caucuses, have had pretty heated and and impassioned arguments about what the right decision is. So now imagine when people are dying, when hospitals are overflowing, that we've got to make the decision that got made last year, and that was the initial shutdown. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, I shudder to think what would happen, not because we were bad intentioned, but because we would have had to figure out some way to get 61 people here, to get 26 people over there, and then the executive branch to all agree what the right decision is. No. And I just don't believe that would have happened. And I think we would have lost people at an exponential rate. Yeah, no, that's not that that's not what's happening here. (laughs) Nobody is saying that we need to redo the entire Emergency Management Act to give the legislature equal access to these decisions and input to these decisions. That's not what's happening here. It has been a year and the legislature has waited out of session, didn't even call itself back in. Governor didn't call it back in. The legislature has sat and waited for the executive branch to improve the situation and for local districts to improve the situation. And at some point, it has become clear that the executive branch, in collusion with the teachers union, is not willing to move for all students to be back in school or to be given an option for in-person instruction. They're not willing to move in that direction. And so then it becomes incumbent upon the legislative branch as the representatives of the people at the most local level. Yes, now they're going to get involved. And that's completely appropriate, I would submit. That's completely appropriate. Uh, He goes on to say, though, that if there's a new outbreak, let's say a mutated virus, that schools could shut down, which... That's important to note that, yes, the schools could turn around and shut down, he says. But the bill um, would then require the General Assembly to reconvene. Think last year with the shutdown. If shutdowns didn't happen all over the country, the damage that was done in 20 to 30 days and the people that were lost. Now, for them, some of us, that's not a big deal. And it's not because we don't care, but because we didn't experience a lot of those losses. But I can promise you for people who lost family members during that time and who are still losing family members of this virus, that was a big deal to them. 
All right, but I'm not sure he's actually made the case here that uh, his predictions of catastrophe would come true. Uh, Because, look, I I would be open to his argument that you don't want to hamstring the governor, any governor, in responding to an emergency, right? Like, that's the point of having the executive. And I agree that a legislative body would not be able to act as nimbly as uh, as the executive branch can. Um, But that being said... I don't see where in this legislation it creates the problem he's saying it does. The schools could shut down if there's some massive outbreak. Again, schools are empowered to shut down. The governor would be able to do that. Um, and then the legislature could come back later. So it's again, there has to be some limiting principle on this expansive executive branch power. And I that's a that is something I have been saying for decades. <laughs> so at all levels, at the state and at the national level. So no, I'm not going to get on board with this idea that we need to give the governor all sorts of powers to, you know, uh, to do what he wants to do and have no oversight from the legislative body. Like, no, I'm not buying that. Now, here is re- uh, the Republican Majority Leader John Bell. He says schools are essential and that the bill does exactly what the Constitution calls for the legislative body to do. Article 1, Section 15 of the North Carolina State Constitution states the people have the right to the the privilege of an education and is a duty of the state to guard and maintain that right. This is exactly what that bill does. Mm -hmm. It puts a plan in place to reopen our schools in a safe and secure manner. And last week, we made sure that school systems could do that by appropriating an additional $1.6 billion in that effort. Like you, I've received the emails, the phone calls. I've had conversations with constituents. I've talked with local school board members throughout my district and throughout the state. I've listened to teachers that are in the classroom that are actually fearful for speaking up because they'll get attacked by political activists. I've seen the billboards going on in Mecklenburg County and throughout the state. I've seen the social media posts. And they're all saying, please do what you can to open our schools and help our children. You know, when I leave this building, first thing I do is take this tie off and I go home. And when I go home, I lose the title representative and I become dad. Actually, to be honest with you, I try to get them to call me Mr. Leader and the Honorable. <laughs> actually, it went very poorly at my house. <laughs> But, but when I go home, I watch my daughter who started kindergarten this year. And she is excited. And when I get home, I watch her struggle learning how to read online. And she's trying hard, but she is struggling to learn how to read online along with her classmates. And she asked me, she said, Daddy, when am I going to be able to go to school more than two days a week? And my answer is, hopefully, baby, soon. Hopefully soon. See, she wants to learn. She wants to see her friends, and she truly loves her teacher. Like you, I've listened to the experts, and from the onset of this pandemic, I've heard over and over again, science and data, science and data. Mm -hmm. 
Even Governor Cooper has said we are using science and data to make informed decisions on how to move forward in the reopening process, whether schools or businesses or overall. We've heard it over and over again. Mm-hmm. Well, the science and data is very clear. Schools are safe to reopen. To take it even further, President Biden, Governor Cooper, Secretary Cohen, the CDC, university studies from all over the country all say it's safe for our students to return to the classroom. Secretary Cohen even took it a step further last week in the health committee meeting by stating, the head of the CDC just announced yesterday to reinforce vaccines are not a prerequisite for getting back into the classroom and the data in North Carolina reinforces that. Governor Cooper said in a Facebook post a few weeks ago, research continues to show in-person learning can happen safely if schools follow safety measures. Today, Governor Cooper is calling on K-12 school districts to allow in-person learning for all students. Indeed. If you're going to say that in-person instruction is safe, then there is no reason to keep schools closed. John Bell says, the Representative Bell says that the 20 districts that remain in Plan C, which is remote only, they represent 41% of all public school students. He went through the data showing how the kids are suffering, how the kids are failing, how they're abandoning school altogether. And as I said earlier, it is catastrophic. I read an opinion piece in a News and Observer. Some of you are actually impressed I actually read. But I read the opinion piece in a News and Observer and it was titled, Private School Students Flourish as Public School Students Fall Behind. And the writer talks about the challenges of her own children because she's a private school teacher and she's actually watching her own children in public school fall further and further behind during the pandemic. She ends the article by saying, and I quote, What's happening in education in our state is not fair. While students in private schools and pods are progressing and thriving, our children in public schools are getting the bare minimum. How much longer will we let our children endure this injustice? When is enough enough? Our schools are essential and our students matter. And here's the other thing, the other risk the Democrats are facing right now is that uh, they are risking their position as the party of education. We'll get into that in a minute. First, Husqvarna and Honda, they make awesome power equipment, outdoor yard equipment, power equipment. And um, if you want to get some of these pieces of equipment into your shed, then you need to go over to General Equipment Rental. I mean, yes, they rent equipment. So whatever your rental needs are for equipment, whether it's you know generators or tillers, a lot of people are doing gardening work for the spring. You want to till the garden beds, but you don't want to buy a tiller because you only use it like once a year, if that. Well, go rent one from General Equipment Rental. But if you want to buy one, let's say you're tilling a lot, head on over to General Equipment Rental, same place, and they are your official Husqvarna and Honda outdoor power equipment sales and service provider. 
And what that means is they're specialists. And so they know their stuff. They know this equipment and they work on it too. So if anything ever goes wrong with these pieces of equipment, a Honda or a Husqvarna piece of equipment, you bring it to them and they're going to be able to fix it. General Equipment Rental, they're located in Weaverville at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road, family owned and operated for three generations. GeneralRents.com is the website, GeneralRents.com and think outside your toolbox. So there was a fellow named Anthony LaMesa. I came across uh, his rant on Twitter the other day. He was a former teacher for Teach for America, uh, London School of Economics. He actually is donor relations analyst at the uh, Global Partnership for Education at the World Bank. Okay, and he says, I have been saying this for the past year. Democrats are gifting education to Republicans as someone who really believes in the traditional public school system and objects to both vouchers and widespread private education. This is scary for me to watch. The Biden administration is sitting back as a core universal public good faces an existential crisis. And once families have left the public school system and start shelling out for private or religious school tuition, they become anti-tax zealots, he says, because, quote, they really have no skin in the game of the social contract anymore. It's not like we have health care or child care systems. See, so this is his concern, that you're creating this exodus out of the public school system, and now these parents and these uh, kids, when they grow up too, they're not going to be wedded to the public school traditional K-12 government monopoly system. He says they have no skin in the game of the social contract. So in this comment, you hear his definition of what he believes binds citizens to the social contract, which is this idea that in an organized society, uh, we, the governed, give up certain rights and, uh, to the government, right, in exchange for security. So in his mind, the social contract, the thing that binds us is the government schools. Government-run schools are the glue that keeps us a partner in this contract, not an expectation of the protection of our liberty, not an expectation to be left alone to pursue our dreams, not even an expectation that we'll all live under a uniform set of laws that apply to everybody equally. No, no, it's the government education system. That's the thing that he believes keeps all of us on board with the social contract, which really highlights a different mentality from folks on the right for you know limited government folks like myself classical liberals if you will right the idea this this liberty in exchange for security that's the social contract it's not about k-12 government run schools folks <laughs> that's not the thing that keeps us all together but uh, I guess if your government is your religion, I could see why you would think that. All right, that is a wrap for the episode. I do appreciate you listening. Remember, subscribe at thepetecalendarshow.com. We'll talk with you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.